Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook. If you would like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Let's talk a little bit about the gentleman who will be coming up in just a second. I love Gary Phillips. I, I love this bio. Like so many things. I didn't even know all these it's things. It's all made up. You write tales of mayhem and menace in other pursuits. You've been a union rep for a nonprofit that you began as a response to the 92 LA riots. You taught incarcerated youth. You were a community organizer in South Central Los Angeles where you were born and raised. You toiled as a printer. Like an old, uh, like, okay. Old, old okay, worked for one of those shadowy 527s yes. and delivered dog cages. Yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> that was the best job, right there. That's it. Now, Michael Harris, this is your first book, and I, I have to admit, I like the whole concept of this line, the switchblade line. It seems less uh, about finding out who murdered the cat, mm. and maybe, like, is it about something deeper? Um, let's see, so you, I don't know about this. Something about you, or in a, okay, you grew up in a railroad town in Northern California in the loom of Mount Shasta, whose mystic influence shadowed you from the university. <laughs> <of> your, <laughs> I don't know who, did you write, did you write that copy? I actually did. <laughs> I don't know about even know what the mystic influence is. <laughs> it's just weird when you when you hear it like yeah. from someone else. Yeah. Um, uh, so the mystic influence of that. Has there we go. So there you go. There Thank you. Go. So you there should have just had. Hey. Ho. Army veteran of Vietnam. You worked as a Forest Service aide, a janitor, and an English convert conversation teacher in Tokyo. For three years, you're a reporter, editor, and book reviewer for West Coast newspapers, including the Los Angeles Times. I don't know if they have any reviewers left there at the moment. It's all online. It's all yeah. online, baby. Like the alter ego Harry Hudson, he stutters and is a gloomy cuss. <laughs> and he lives with his wife in Long Beach. They have a grown son. This is your first, how do you say this? Che, che Hoy? Uh, really, I was very close. You were. You were. Yeah. You were. So anyway. Um, close to any of can I borrow that book for a second? I wanted to read. I'll keep your... I love this. Maybe you guys can talk about this a little bit when you're up here, about how this Switchblade imprint started. Yeah. A different slice of hard-boiled fiction where the dreamers and the schemers, the dispossessed and the damned, and the hobos and the rebels tango at the edge of society. I think that... <laughs> yeah, I just think that's so so Dave Goodest. <laughs> exactly. You know? Very good. Very good. So, um, who's coming up first? Uh, Michael. Okay. <laughs> Is that cool with you, Michael? That's cool. All right. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, Michael Harris. All right. Well, I suppose I ought to start out by explaining uh, a Chu Hoi, uh, which is a phrase out of the Vietnam War that. Um, uh, had a couple of meanings. Uh, it meant open arms. The South Vietnamese government uh, offered open arms to any Viet Cong who would come in and surrender. But um, in the slang language that we had over there, it just meant surrender. It meant to give up. 
and um, it refers to uh, a bar in Long Beach owned by a Vietnamese a woman who names it ironically because uh, while she wants to offer open arms to her customers, uh, they aren't the kind of customers she would like. They're a bunch of losers and misfits and uh, people who have given up, have chewed on their chances to become normal citizens. And um, among these people is my protagonist. And um, um, as he said, this is not a novel about who done it? Um, there are criminals, there are crimes, but that's not sort of the main focus. Um, it's um, there are no psychopathic villains. Um, it's a novel about a guy who is followed by stuff in his past, as often happens in this kind of novel, and um, uh, he comes to Long Beach. Uh, pretty much on a last gasp attempt to uh, uh, find a newspaper job and um, um, he has a sort of a unique combination of problems. Um, he, is, uh, he has done a couple of things in his past for which he feels very guilty and depressed and uh, because he has a, a kind of speech problem, um, he cannot for any length of time hide this fact from the world. Uh, he can't put on a brave front. He has to go out there naked every day, and it's not only that he knows he will speak badly or seem not too intelligent or on drugs or something, but uh, he doesn't know from day to day or hour to hour how it's going to go. Uh, just as I don't know standing up here how it's going to go. And um, so um, I thought I would read a paragraph, just one paragraph. It's a fairly long one, but uh, it sort of sums up everything that is chasing my protagonist. Uh, things outside him, things inside him. Um, and um, he has just arrived in Long Beach. He has found this bar where he will spend a great deal of his time. Um, and um, this is um, just before the, it's a year or so before the riots in 1992 and uh, which is the climax of this whole action. Once he gets sort of involved in the, um, the town and uh, in the people, uh, he doesn't believe actually that he deserves any kind of life, much less you know, love or prosperity or any of those things, but human nature being as it is, he still goes out there trying to find these things and in doing so uh, he stumbles into adventures. Um, that night, sleeping on the cot in the storeroom of the True Hoy Saloon, Harry Hudson was spared the worst dream of all the one in which he lay pinned to the chase lounge by the swimming pool of the apartment complex in Gardersville, Oregon, 
unable to move, while his two-year-old daughter, Sally, wandered slowly but unstoppably toward the water. Below the ruffles of her bathing suit, yellow with little blue flowers, were pink ovals on the backs of her thighs from lying on the hot concrete. This was only the second worst dream, the one in which his squad waited in ambush at the edge of an old Michelin rubber plantation 20 clicks northwest of Fukvin. It was December and dry, and big rusty leaves had fallen off the rubber trees, crackling when anyone moved, and it was cool enough to draw mist up out of the ground before dawn, when Harry Hudson saw a shadow materialize out of the field beyond and heard the squeak of a bicycle coming toward him. It was like a triple exposure. He knew he was dreaming this moment now, just as he knew then that he had dreamed it before, in one way or another, all his life. He opened his mouth in Long Beach, in Vietnam, in all those other places, and nothing came out, not a whisper. The muscles of his throat and tongue were rigid as boards, his lips numb, his cheeks and neck flushed with blood. He went out of himself then, as he often did, and came back after an indefinite time, a second, half an hour, to panic, his mouth still frozen. In the dream, the old man looked just like Ho Chi Minh, pointed straw hat, black pajamas, a wisp of white beard, though awake Harry Hudson could remember only his bony chest where the sights of the M16 had pointed. In the dream, he tried to hold the barrel down, but the rifle was flimsy, mostly plastic, lighter than air. It rose of its own will. He tried not to pull the trigger, but it went off anyway, full automatic, and stitched the old man across that patch of withered brown skin and threw him off the bicycle. A calamitous noise, followed by a silence in which one wheel still spun and creaked, and they suddenly realized that Charlie had been alerted for miles around, their whole night's weight wasted. Harry Hudson ran up with Sergeant Riker, whose words he had come to fear more than any words since his father's, right behind him, and saw that the old man had no gun, of course, nothing at all. So I'm going to, uh, um, I'll just read a quick uh, passage myself from um, The Underbelly, and sort of uh, somewhat in keeping with our theme tonight. Uh, the Underbelly is about a, uh, a semi-homeless uh, Vietnam vet who uh, it's set now, set today, well, about a year or so, well, a couple of years ago, as LA was really gentrifying or going through its last stages of, uh, I guess it's not even the last stages, <clears throat> but of, of gentrification of essentially pushing uh, the homeless out and getting rid of uh, low-income apartments and transforming uh, um, uh, uh, warehouses and, and places where they had formerly uh, uh, been sweatshops into uh, uh, trendy lofts and, and what have you. And so in the context of that, my character, uh, uh, McGrady, uh, who at the time of the story begins has been eight months uh, sober. Uh, uh, is uh, getting by on his uh, VA uh, disability check of uh, $732.12 a month and uh, he has a uh, disabled friend who uh, who's up to something so there's a bit of a uh, m m there's a bit of a whodunit in this 
uh, although I sort of veer off the path at some point about that, come back to it. Uh, but the friend disappears uh, from Skid Row, and, and McGrady um, needs a mission. He needs something to now help him to get nine months sober, and you know, so on and so on. And so he uh, takes it upon himself essentially to go look for this friend. But even as he looks for the friend, he, he wonders if he's not just sort of creating this mystery in his own head, something to keep him busy, something to keep him you know, moving, when in fact it could be nothing at all. Uh, and, uh, but in the swirl of that then, uh, we get a glimpse of downtown as it goes through uh, its throes. And, uh, and also there's a um, uh, captain of the nickel squad, the, the, the police squad that police downtown, and he and McGrady have a past in Vietnam. McGrady had been the sergeant, and this guy had been the corporal. Uh, and he, uh, the captain now, the who had been, you know, the soldier then, uh, blames McGrady for the death of, of a friend uh, who McGrady had sent out on point, you know, on, on patrol. So you know, it's nice to know that both these books are. Uh, Fun for the whole family. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Let's see. I'm going to read a different pad. I've been, I've been reading one same scene over and over. I'm going to read something different. Uh, here we go. Past 1 a.m., the flop he'd scored from his army buddy Red Spencer's garage for the last few weeks. McGrady had woke with the night sweats, his heart thrumming in his ears. He reached for a bottle of whiskey that wasn't there. The jungle had gone hot and yellow on his head again. Booze, coke, the meds. The group sessions off and on at various VA facilities. All of it had helped and hindered, but none of it had stopped the gnawing from returning. He lay on his back on the, on the couch unable to sleep. He clicked on the portable clock radio nearby and listened to the Art LeBeau's oldies show. He once again read through the homemade comic book on staple and folded lined paper his son Luke had written and drawn when he was 10. It was a tale of Lionhead Mose, a black jet pilot ace who crash landed in the African jungle, found the secret ruby eye stone, and gained the superpowers. He fought several villains in a 30 page epic, aided by his sidekick, Roy Boy. McGrady, who hadn't seen the comic book in decades, was surprised to find it in the box of stuff he was storing in the garage. After enjoying the titanic climatic battle Lionhead has atop the mountain of the moon against Cobra Fang, he closed his eyes and tried to drift away, suspended between his nightmares and songs by the likes of The Midnighters and Bloodstone on the radio. An invitation, an invitation of sleep finally returned as William Devane sang, sang, just be thankful for what you got. I'd be thankful I had any shit, McGrady mumbled, as calmness descended on him and his mind went blank. Mike should, should come up. Um, so just a quick, because uh, Darren had, had, had mentioned or had talked a little bit about the imprint, Switchblade, which has uh, uh, brought uh, Chihoy Saloon out and uh, Underbelly. Underbelly, I should mention, I guess I should mention this, I originally wrote uh, as an online uh, serial on a site that I do some writing for, fourstory.org, and I, uh, when the site started, uh, my friend Nathan Walpole, who's the editor-in-chief, uh, who also comes out of uh, well, he's, he's actually an engineer, I guess, by training. He's a, he's a techie, uh, but he's also a crime fiction writer. And he asked me what I care to take my, try my hand at writing some serialized fiction. And the site, Four Stories, is, is, is built around the notion of sustainable living and, uh, and issues around uh, fairness and, and, and uh, equity. 
And uh, so the idea of then uh, using this character, this, this Vietnam vet, in the context of an LA or downtown LA as it goes through gentrification uh, sort of came to me uh, and, and that's how the story got started. But uh, so there are some differences between the online version in you know written in serial form and now uh, re-edited and, and I've added some uh, material to to the book that's not there uh, online because the one thing I have found out writing online is that you can write yourself into a corner so you have to be careful about those things <laughs> there are certain inconsistencies in certain chapters uh, that I had to then resolve uh, in the context of the book but uh, with that in mind I guess we should have some questions or answers or slings and arrows or something or something. I'm curious, uh, I'm not familiar with the online process at all. And when you say you write yourself into a corner, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be the advantage of online that you can always change things? Well, uh, that's, that's true, Vince. But, but you're right, so nothing is set in stone, and so you're right, you sort of go back in and, and go, and I've done that too, where I'll then go, oh, okay, now I need to change it. You know, and, uh, but it is, it, it's a little different because, or at least, but it's out there. Already. But it's out there already, so sometimes it's right, so it's out there and it's gotten reactions, you know, which, Fortunately for us, nobody was really reading the site. So, you know, but uh, but sometimes it does, and so then you, you kind of be twixt in between, but... Uh, what happened to this character? She was there before. Now exactly, and now she's gone because I couldn't figure out what the hell I was going to do with her. Uh, <laughs> so it never got that bad, but... Uh, and usually I do work from an outline, but it is... It was an interesting process because usually my usual process is, I mean, right now I'm working on a book slowly, and so what I'll do is, like, I've stopped now. I've got 100 pages, so I'll stop, and I'll go back in, and I'll edit, and, and do some rewriting on those 100 pages and I'll do another 50 or 60 pages and stop again. So I, that's my usual process. And whereas online, you know, because you, you, it's a deadline and you got to make a deadline, you kind of, you, you, so you, which is great, it's a great discipline, but you're writing to get the stuff out. Yeah. And kind of like with the old Dickens serials right. and stuff, you have to have it, you know, end on a cliffhanger. Yeah, that's right, exactly. So you want them to come back. You want them to come back the next the next time. Exactly. Exactly. Michael, is this your first book, or have you written others? Well, uh, I wrote my first novel in college, which was a long, long time ago. But this is the first one that actually has come all the way out of obscurity and yeah, seen the light of day. Um, I have another one finished. I have a third one about the halfway done. But, uh, With the same characters or different subject matter? Or? No, all of them are different. Was this written from kind of personal experiences that you had? A good deal. Um, uh, it's got newspaper stuff in it. It's sort of about the sort of uh, prolonged squeeze that the newspaper industry went through before the present, you know, implosion of it. And, um, um, and uh, you know, it, um, it had uh, some of my own experiences uh, with uh, stuttering, which uh, uh, since Herman Melville on Billy Budd. I haven't seen a whole lot of it uh, in American literature. Uh, there's more in English, but uh, not here, so I did that. And then um, it was a kind of the opposite of peeling the onion. I started with the core and I, you know, added layers onto the onion. Um, I had this uh, sort of core of, 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 uh, of experience and then I didn't want to bore everybody, so I um, 
the first big break was to find this bar which actually existed in some form or other and I hung out there for uh, after work for a number of years and became aware that there was this whole you know multi-ethnic multi-class uh, you know down and out soap opera going on and uh, uh, it dawned on me that this was you know raw material and that I could do something with it and so I began to take notes in my head and then finally I met a separate group of people who were involved at least partly in the rioting uh, and looting uh, that took place in 92 and that kind of gave me my final my climax my final you know lump of stuff so uh, it took me all together a six years to write and, you know, so. and Vietnam experience? I was in Vietnam but uh, I was uh, fairly lucky uh, the the Vietnam experiences that the guy has in this one are experiences that that's based on fr stories that friends told me uh, there was a guy who was a cartoonist for the Long Beach a paper while I was there who got sent to Vietnam just a month before I did but uh, in that intervening month was the whole Tet Offensive wow. in 1968 I arrived when they were just you know mopping it up and he landed right smack in the middle of it and you know all hell had broken loose and of course he had an entirely different experience Wow What's, what's a switch plate Oh, well, the idea is that uh, the, the press, PM Press, is mostly a political press and they mostly publish uh, nonfiction uh, lefty stuff. And uh, uh, Ramsey Kanan, who's the uh, chief cook and uh, bottle washer of the, uh, of the press, actually came out of AK Press, uh, which people think, you know, was, was, was named for you know, the AK, yeah. but actually it's his mom's initials, so yeah. there you go. Yeah. So, who, who knew? Uh, but, uh, but uh, so anyway, so he, things happened, and AK had been in the Bay Area for years, it's still around. But anyway, he left AK and he started PM a couple years ago, and through a series of circumstances, uh, one of the editors, well, ostensibly, I'm one of the, I'm one of the editors of PM, because we're actually doing a, uh, I mean, I'm getting off track, but I'm, we're doing a, uh, an anthology, an anthology called a semi-love and a Molotov cocktail. So, uh, uh, so that's pretty direct. Uh, so, um, the idea being that Switchblade is the is a kind of noir, hardcore, uh, hard-boiled fiction imprint of PM. So that's that. Thus, the name Switchblade. Well, we wild them so much that they're leaving the eyes. Well, folks, <laughs> thanks for coming. I'm walking by. <laughs> Two shows later. <laughs> Thanks for stopping. <laughs> uh, well, you know. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Ivan Monk again. I've asked that before. Uh, yes, Vince. Not in front of this crowd. Not in front of this crowd. Um, there was a there was a Monk short story that showed up last year uh, in uh, uh, Phoenix Noir. And in fact, that didn't win, but it was nominated for the award. And uh, slowly but surely, because now I've got to get this other book I'm working on done. There is a monk novel, there's a half-done monk novel, but now of course I gotta change a lot of things and move around, move some things around. Although the basic, there's some basic uh, incidents in the book that will remain the same. So the shorter answer is 
Yes, yeah, so at some point next year I'm going to get to that novel. You yeah. haven't buried it. Yet. I haven't buried it yet. and rework it. And uh, and, uh, and but though maybe like um, you know, there's an image in my head. Uh, one of the few John Wayne novel, uh, novel one of the few John Wayne movies I've seen uh, was uh, The Searchers. Right? The guys go out, they come back, they go out, they go, but they go, you know, they're searching for the, the, the daughter, or the another daughter, sister, sister who's been captured by the Indians, and now she's an Indian, yeah. now she's not white, we can't bring her back to civilization, but, uh, <laughs> but, but it's a great scene at the end, right, where now they brought her back, and, uh, and uh, John Wayne's on the porch, right, and uh, the metaphor being that, okay, he's this rugged guy, and he shot guys, and he's, you know, through the thing, and he shot guys in the back, and this and that, but now we're in civilization again, and there's no place for you in civilization, right? So the door, yeah. you know, the, the, the woman comes out, and, and, it's right, and, the door, and the door closes on him, and we just see him there on the porch, because he's not, there's no place for him now in this homestead, there's no, you know, his role is done. And so I, that image is in my head, that is to say, that's, I see that as like that, not necessarily, literally this, the last image in, in this month novel, but something like that, where, where these things are gonna happen, I mean, I know the things are going to happen. Those big, those big things are going to happen are going to still happen. And so I see that kind of in where, it, which is to say, um, there's a distance now from Monk and, and the life that he had, or the life that he had in the, in the four books in the several short stories. As an outsider. As an outsider. As a Right. Because right. the thing with Monk was, had always been, unlike other private eyes, I'd always wanted, you know, he had a mom, he had a sister, uh, brother-in-law, uh, Yuffie, so we always had, and, 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 and he had a donut shop, he had crazy customers, and he had, and the older white guy who was like his mentor had been a cop under, under Chief Parker. So he had these people around, and he had his, his, his significant other, the uh, uh, dominant. So there's going to be changes. I know there's going to be changes. They're, they're in this skeleton of a novel. Those changes are going to happen that going to either, will, you know, put Monk in a different place psychologically and physically in the world. So that's the, that's the teaser. That's the teaser. What ethnicity is McGrady? McGrady's black. McGrady's black. Wait, wait, the story. Yes, dear. Um, I was just curious. Um, just seeing both of the books being set in Los Angeles and in yours in particular around the LA riots. Um, just wondering, like, I, I was, I was here at the time the riots happened and. I'm just wondering. a child, though. No, I was like, <laughs> really? Now, I'm 39 now, so what? anyway, not about me. Um, but I'm just wondering if you guys, because I keep feeling the ghosts of that time coming back. I mean, Jerry Brown being the governor again. He was running for president at the time. Um, I'm just wondering if that contributed to what, to like why you chose 92 or why you keep choosing. Los Angeles is a place to come back to. Well, I can answer that one. And uh, the answer is that uh, uh, this project just took an incredibly long time. Um, I started to write it right after the riots. Mm. It was all mm. timely mm. stuff then. It was all fresh news. And it took me, and, and uh, uh, the actual writing took me uh, six years, and then I spent another six uh, trying to sell it without any particular luck. So I self-published it so I could hand my friends and relatives a few copies. And uh, then another four years went by until 
Gary Phillips here got me hooked up with a PM and they accepted it and then it's been another two and a half years and here it is. So, uh, I mean, uh, what uh, my choice of that subject didn't have anything to do with what's uh, happening now. Mm. <laughs> Although it's actually quite relevant now. I mean, you hear about the court case uh, yeah. today? Yeah. The decision? Yeah. The sentencing? Yeah. Of the cop right. that killed the, the yeah. guy I know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You hear about that? You got the minimum sentence? Minimum sentence, I know. No, Does anybody hear anything? I mean, they're worried about it. No, but they have the cops in tackler here in Oakland. Kind of absolutely incredible. Um, but also to that that question, uh, Darren, my, my first novel, my first published novel, yeah, Violent Spring, is set yeah. after the riots. And at that time, it was not, I mean, it was, not, it was, I mean, it was written, you know, it was written to be set after the riots, about a year, year and a half out. It was my first, my first item month novel. And, uh, and, and because I, I had worked in nonprofits and stuff during the times of the riot, up until and then afterward, uh, I, I was able, to, you know, draw that, that experience and, and those people and, and create those kind of amalgam of characters in the in the novel. But it is the case, though, that I think, I mean, more to also to the point, I think, is that um, there's always been a kind of um, you know body of, of work, you know, necessarily mystery novels, but hard boiled stuff. I mean, even John Fante's stuff, which is not mysteries at all, but but certainly has a kind of different slice of of, of LA life. Mm -hmm. Uh, even then, uh, so there's always been a body of this kind of work about uh, this other other side of, the, of this other aspect of LA. That hopefully that that you know that these books are kind of in that in that continuum. Yes, yes sir. I was wondering if Michael might be writing a screenplay or thinking about something like that. Well, I actually have done a screenplay of it. Um, just uh, kind of as an exercise, if nothing else, I had never uh, tried one before, but a friend of mine who some connections to the movie business said, maybe I should, and so last spring I did. And uh, it was quite an experience, because it's a whole different way to, to, to tell a story. You can't go, you know, I mean, this is a novel that mostly, you know, it's, like most novels, it's yeah inside of people's heads, and uh, you can't do that quite the same way. Well, if there's no more questions, don't we have refreshments for the for the for our contestants, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll um, I'll get out the table so uh, they can sign some books. Right. We'll get the free refreshments up here, you guys. Just remember, we're an independent bookstore, one of the last ones. That's right. And so any help you give to us there you go. as you're purchasing a book there you helps go. the there author you go, That's it. appreciate it. That's it. You have been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.